Well, a good Monday to you on this March 14th. Uh, you're dialed into Real Talk, and thanks for being here. Ryan Jesperson here with you alongside the injury law firm of Hoyles & Hicks, <laughs> <laughs> offering unsolicited, uh, incredible, it. incredible, but uncredible. In other words, you don't want them representing you in injury law, although I would have them, they're, they're my ride or dies, I would have them represent me in any other context, maybe not injury law. John Hicks, the technical producer of this show, and Sarah Hoyles back in studio. So good to have you here. I haven't been here since last year. It's been a long time. It's been a while. And you were coming, like, you know what uh, reiterated it to me this morning, what made me realize more than anything that it's been a while? You went to print something, and there's we've replaced the printer. You were yeah. even set up on the printer again, and I went, well, that's, gosh, there's going to be some catching up here, but it's so good to have you here. I'm looking forward, now I can make eye contact with my producer again, which is a big deal. I mean, you also, people can't see it, but there's a big, big, <laughs> big face of Ryan Yeah, they can't the see it, and I love it. Uh, it's only big. for my own personal enjoyment. John can't even show it to you on the camera, but we have the, uh, the May edition of Edify magazine, the yeah. one with me nude in the tub smoking a cigar. <laughs> Blown up to 24 by 36, printed on plexiglass <laughs> and framed. It's uh, It's been done for our new studio, but we had blank wall space. And we thought, well, let's just put it up. And now and now, John and you and and even me, we can all admire me in the tub every single morning. That's, that's what beauty. I think of every yeah, morning in the shower. I think of every morning in the shower. <laughs> what? In just a second, uh, we're going to talk to a Calgary Beltline resident. And, and I'm really grateful that Megan's agreed to join us. I was following her on Twitter yesterday, Megan Walsh, and, and she's was like right in the mix. You saw this. You call them, I guess, counter protesters. But these these uh, absolutely idiotic freedom demonstrations are still continuing in some Canadian cities. Nobody's exactly sure what these morons are, are, are protesting anymore because all the restrictions are lifted and they have all their freedoms and people are dying in Ukraine, you buffoons, but still they continue to show up and honk their horns and make life miserable for everybody. So, so a whole bunch of Calgary Beltline residents are like, hell no, we're going to show up and, and so-called counter protest. But People are quite rightfully wondering whose side the Calgary police are on after this. And Megan's going to join us in just a second. We're also going to be talking, of course, about cybersecurity today. There's ties to Russia. And we're welcoming a rural doctor that wrote into the show. It's Monday, which means that positive reflections are coming up later on, presented by Kubi Energy. You remember the doc that wrote in? The doctor that wrote in and said I was going basically sideways with my mood and with where my mind was at. But Real Talks helped me kind of find some even keel, some even steady ground. And then he said, P.S., I'd be willing to come on the show if you wanted. And I read that sentence, and all of a sudden, Real Talkers on Mass were like, well, get him on! Get him on! And so he's joining us today. We're looking forward to it. Uh, plus, we'll kick off this week's question of the week. We're asking you about cryptocurrency and NFTs. How much do you know about them? And it's okay if you think that's all BS, and you, or you don't know anything about them, or you're scared or concerned that you maybe you should know about them, but you don't. And here's the point. If you do have questions about cryptocurrency, and we talk about this, our presenting sponsor, of course, since inception on this show, Bitcoin Well, has been answering people's questions from the entry-level ones like, hey, man, uh, I don't know what NFT stands for. That's not, that's not crypto, but you get my point. Anything digital, the blockchain, the uh, cryptocurrency wallets, you're like, what, what even is this, man? I recommend the team at Bitcoin. Well, in particular, ask for Benny. He's kind of their front-facing expert. He's the one you can book a consultation with by checking him out under the Sponsors tab on our website, ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. 
Coming up in just a second, Megan Walsh, uh, a Beltline resident in Calgary. First of all, for those of you watching this on YouTube, I want to show you this video and I'll, I'll kind of narrate it or provide some color commentary. Uh, for those of you listening on the podcast, this was citizen video. This is video captured over the weekend down in Calgary. Check this out. These counter protesters basically saying we're, we're sick and tired of you clogging up our neighborhood and making our lives miserable. So they so they show up in, in, in a show of, uh, I suppose, solidarity. Right. We'll ask Megan and go ahead and roll it, Johnny. And you can see they've got their cycle. You know, they got their bikes there. They're on foot pedestrians. People young and old being herded by Calgary police officers trying to create some distance between these two groups that are converging in the 17th Avenue area. Look at that guy. Is that guy with a walker? I mean, there's some older folks there. They're all pinned against cars. They can't move. They can't move. Look at this police officer using his bike like a battering ram. People have nowhere to go. Getting hammered, you know, in the ribs with the handlebars. And what are you going to do? You're going to take a swing at a police officer? Yeah, right. People can't even defend themselves. What prompted a couple of tweets uh, from our guest out of the gates this morning. Megan was down there, Megan Walsh, and, and, and basically was having none of it. She was sick and tired of, of what she was seeing and what was happening. And she tweets, you know, it's super weird to be shoved with a bike by Calgary police in my own neighborhood when I'm just trying to get the bullying and the obscenities that spew from the Freedom Convoy protests every Saturday to stop. Megan says, I'm especially worried for future protests. The Calgary Police Service did not have a plan. Megan Walsh joining us live this morning out of the gates, a communications correspondent out of Calgary's Beltline District. Thanks for making time for us, Megan. What a circumstance there. Where were you in that melee? Where were you in the mix? Thank you so much for having me, Ryan. I'm very happy to be here today. Um, so I was, you know, closer to Western High School. I was on the other side of the videos that are shown. And yeah, you know, part of a peaceful protest. Basically, you know, us Beltline residents, we've had enough. We're so sick and tired of these protests that take up so much time on Saturdays. We want to invite our families and friends down to visit us. We want to shop local. And we ultimately can't. I mean, traffic is completely jammed up. There's there's no parking anywhere to be found. And who wants to be down here, you know, when there's a crazy freedom march taking place and people are yelling and honking? It's just been it's just been too much. How long has this been going on for, Megan? Do you remember like a couple of months now type thing? So I actually moved here down in May 2021, and I can't remember a free Saturday that, you know, we've had or been able to enjoy. So is that right? It's been a long time. So your entire time. And for people that don't live in Calgary, this is this is kind of one of the you might call them the destination neighborhoods. This is a a great pedestrian friendly, a lot of energy in that area, like some like bars, restaurants, the type of place you want to be, the type of place you want to window shop, the kind of kind of I mean, I guess that's exactly probably why it's been a target of these so-called freedom protesters. Well, I'm starting to think we need to evolve the language around that because I'm not quite sure they know why they're there anymore. Did you have a clear sense? I mean, has there been any sort of evolution in the message they're trying to put out? I mean, what are, what do their signs say now? Oh, there's oh, you might not want to say an eclectic yeah. amount of things. Uh-huh. Um, basically, we just, you know, it's very confusing for us as well. We have no idea to answer your question. And there's a lot of confusion amongst Beltline residents, for sure. Okay, so the Calgary Police Service issuing a statement, which, you know, we want to get to, obviously, because I think, you know, it's relevant. And, and I want to let our audience know that, of course, we have reached out to the Calgary Police Service. Obviously, we're going to be talking about this. Uh, they say our officers work to ensure that, Approximately 2,000 Calgarians involved in opposing protests remain safe 
As they demonstrated, they say this is not an easy task. It's important to be cognizant, says the CPS, that these demonstrations occurred over several hours. Individual photos or short video clips do not always portray the complete picture. Uh, They start talking about trying to minimize disruption to nearby residents and businesses. They say officers on scene collected a significant amount of evidence and will be working with investigators to review the actions of all parties to determine any potential enforcement. There's since been talk of classifying uh, the so-called freedom protest as a parade, which means that police were saying, well, we had to clear the way for the parade. And now I see counter protesters saying, all right, well, then we're going to parade next Saturday in the opposite direction. and We'll see what happens here. I mean, your assessment of, of police involvement in this on Saturday, you witnessed it firsthand. I mean, I would like to correct you in just terms of the counter protesting parading back. We were definitely not. We were standing still peacefully protesting with earplugs in, um, just kind of, you know, laughing amongst ourselves. It was, uh, it's actually a great community down there. You know, we're a diverse group and we have each other's backs. So, you know, that's, that's just one part there, but I mean, yeah, it was it was very confusing to um, you know be on the receiving end of that sort of police force, and again, you know, we really just want this to stop, and we just have each other's backs in terms of you know this is a fantastic community of people who want our Saturdays, and we just again, I I mean I can't speak so much to you know the you know how they can parade through us. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know it's just ridiculous. And what, yeah. what I was saying, Megan, is I was just seeing people on Saturday and Sunday of this past weekend saying, if classifying it as a parade gets these guys off the hook, then yeah. next Saturday we will be quote unquote parading back, which to me makes me a little nervous because now you get to a point where, where I don't know, I see in my circle and people I follow on social media, a whole bunch of people going, I'm going to make my way to Calgary next Saturday because it looks to me like the reasonable folks on this side of the equation could use a little extra help. And then now all of a sudden we're doing, what are we doing? We're, we're building up numbers in both directions. I mean, this, if the Calgary police aren't prepared for this, uh, this could become a bigger and a bigger and a bigger problem. You know what I mean? I mean, Calgary's mayor, I thought was showing leadership over the weekend. Jody Gondek, you know, community members standing their ground are not counter protesters. They're people with a right to a safe and welcoming community. And while council has no formal ability to direct the police or other enforcement bodies, we could be vocal and stand with our fellow Calgarians. What does that mean to you? It meant a lot, you know, it meant a lot to see Mayor Gondek release that statement. And it just went to show, you know, the solidarity that we're seeing on council. Our um, local councillor, Councillor Walcott, was actually down earlier in, on Saturday talking to Beltline residents, you know, asking us how we were feeling, collecting feedback. And that sort of solidarity from council just means so much to us and we do feel heard, but now it's time, you know, for it all to end. We're just, we just, again, want our Saturdays back. Yeah, no kidding. And, and who can blame you? I mean, I, I can imagine every single Saturday, if I had young kids, I would be losing my mind. If I was a parent of an infant, which I soon will be, and people, you're trying to get your infant to rest and there's people on their horns the entire time. I can't even imagine. It's got to be sort of almost emotionally exhausting. I mean, I don't think I'm being overly dramatic, is it? Absolutely. I mean, you know, we, my partner and I, we do tend to shut ourselves in on Saturday afternoons, but we still see the protests. We still hear them, even though, you know, we'll be watching TV or trying to distract ourselves. And it's so draining. It's, it's very difficult. And let alone, you know, you know, there've been a few Saturdays where we have forgotten and we're outside when these occur and it's a dangerous, it feels dangerous. Like I'm a young woman. I don't want to be walking around the belt line on a Saturday afternoon but I know that people are going to be yelling at me for wearing my mask. So again, yeah, it's just, it's a 
it's a very, it's a bad situation right now. Hmm. Well, Megan, uh, I don't wish it on anybody. I think you're handling it with dignity and class. I'm going to be curious to see what happens over these next number of days, because you better believe that authorities in Calgary, including the Calgary Police Service, are realizing that this thing could get out of control in a hurry if it hasn't already. Thanks for showing us the first person perspective on this. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Ryan. I appreciate it. That's Megan Walsh. Uh, she's a communications specialist, as you can tell, very well spoken, obviously. Uh, but more importantly, or more relevant in this circumstance, she's a resident in the neighborhood that's seen this stuff happening. Jillian says it's super awkward watching privileged folks come to the realization that the police behave exactly like minorities and other marginalized groups have been saying for years. For sure. I would I would reference back to our question of the week. If you support us on Patreon, you get the full top line report uh, from our questions of the week. Sometimes they're 20 pages long. You get all the comments people have left. You get all the data. It's amazing. You can support us on Patreon by way of our website at ryanjesperson.com. Look on the top right-hand side of the page. But but it was it was interesting. I remember uh, looking at those um, responses when we asked people how they felt about the protest at Coots, like the border blockade and the protests in Ottawa. And one of the interesting developments in that question of the week, we saw more and more real talkers saying they would like to see police apply more force they say like we've seen in other protests again you know involving indigenous people black people people supportive of you know every child matters black lives matter etc we want to see more of that aggressive policing in coots where chris henderson and his team at wise station they're putting that data together for us on the report they're going whoa wouldn't you think more people would be saying we want to see the police chill in the other circumstance but no the majority of respondents to our survey said they wanted to see more aggression to the people at coots and I think that's what was the most startling in this instance in Calgary is the fact that the peaceful counter protesters, they were, as she mentioned, had earplugs in, were standing quietly and they were the ones yeah. that were facing the most aggression. Like, what are you going to do if, if a police officer that and, and I'm not a police officer, I don't know what it's like. This is not an anti-police show. Like we say, every time we talk about this, we invite the Calgary Police Service, the Edmonton Police, I'm or actually whoever, just Toronto, emailing them right, right? now. I mean, like, we're we, we, we don't, like, when we say we request interviews with these people, of course, that's because they're welcome to come on and share their side of the story. Um, I understand that a part of policing is, is I'm sure that when you're trained is to sort of ramp it up and rate and show aggression and show and like, you know, basically, pardon my French, <clears throat> someone's going to get mad at me for saying pardon my French, um, acknowledged. You can't say anything anymore. Uh, but, no, the, but, the, but that's sort of the police idea, like, you know, fuck around and find out, right? That's sort of the cop way. Now, it's not to say there aren't cops that are soft-spoken, that are the good cop, bad cop side of the thing. Uh, but, but when police officers, maybe when they have their back against a wall or when they're outnumbered, they puff up the chest and they start to get aggressive and yell, right? And, uh, and, and that officer, that one video, and the police say, that's one instance, that's one video. Out of, yeah, sure, but it's, I mean, it's, you can't, it's on video. There it is. You know, it's showing people, including elderly people in this demonstration with nowhere to go, getting this mountain bike rammed into them. The head, the, the, the handlebars jamming into their ribs and they're, you're pinned against a car. There's a thousand people behind you. Where are you going to go? What do you want me to do, man? You know, where do you want me to go? Right. Meantime, all of these guys on the other side, these guys that are showing up, I bet you the majority of them aren't even from Calgary. They're coming into Calgary just to make it's like remember what that's what Vancouver residents said when their city got burned down after they lost to Boston in the Stanley Cup final. <laughs> None of them were from Vancouver. It wasn't us. It wasn't us. It wasn't me. Um anyway, not the point. 
I think the video speaks for itself. I think Calgary's got a real issue on its hands. And, and, and at what point do these things, people say, oh, just because you, you don't believe in people's right to protest. She's living there since May. It's now March. It's been 10 months every Saturday. What, what are you doing? But the right to protest, the right to protest includes getting a permit and doing it sure. lawfully. Yeah, for sure. And these folks are not. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I guess I can just go park my car outside mm. the chief of police house, uh, chief of police horn. and just lay on the horn every Saturday for eight hours. I guess that's cool. Maybe all my friends. Anyway, you know what? I'm going to hold the John Horgan video because we've got our cybersecurity expert hanging tight and, and we're going to play you. you you've probably seen it. One of the reasons we're, we're going to play it, uh, this video of BC's premier past couple of days is just because everybody's like, boy, John Horgan nailed it on this one. Addressing these protesters, addressing the... You know, but we've got a guest locked and loaded. I want to respect their time. So I'm going to quickly remind you today that Park Power is the best place to go if you're looking for a quick way to put some money back in your family's pocket. We know that this time right now, I mean, the way that electricity, natural gas prices are going, it's arguably more expensive now than ever. Never mind fuel prices to keep your family moving like the basics if you go to parkpower.ca right now you can compare rates on electricity natural gas and internet and if you bundle your services you'll save even more on the administrative side plus you can get their fixed rates make sure you check those out and the promo code 2022-realtalk gets you $70 off your first bill at parkpower.ca. How fantastic is that? Our friends at Infinity Healthcare want you to know that if you're one of those millions of Canadians that are the so-called sandwich generation, which means you're still looking after your kids and you're looking after your parents, your parents may be elderly or perhaps they have some special care requirements, maybe Alzheimer's or ALS or Parkinson's is in the mix. Infinity Healthcare is in the business bringing customer service back to healthcare. You can check them out, their services and their service areas on their website, infinity-8.ca. What everybody loves about Infinity is their personality matching service. They recognize with home care, it's got to be a great fit. And that's exactly what they do at Infinity Healthcare. Well, this is a really, really interesting collaboration. These five Canadian universities that have come together to form the brand new Cybersecurity Innovation Network. Uh, it's perhaps more relevant now than ever before with Russia's attack on Ukraine and the so-called cyber warfare that occurs as part of that. I mean, just look back on the past number of elections. How many people have asserted that there's been foreign, especially Russian influence in those democratic elections? Do we know enough about cybersecurity? Do we understand it? Are we well prepared to withstand attacks? Dr. Ryan Henry is a computer scientist working and teaching at the University of Calgary. Um, the U of C joining uh, Concordia, Ryerson, University of New Brunswick, and University of Waterloo to establish this National Cybersecurity Consortium. Dr. Henry, welcome to the show. Thanks for making time for us. Thanks for having me. Uh, does the average person, the average civilian, even remotely understand how important cybersecurity is these days? I don't think they do. Um, there's a much more awareness today than there has been historically, but I think we're still pretty far behind. I always am shocked when I have conversations with people to understand exactly what their um, view of sort of what's what's possible, what's not possible, and in particular, who is actually capable of pulling off troubling attacks. Can we can we get right into that? I mean, who is capable right now? When we talk about Russia, or Russian hackers, or Russian influence. It's obviously not just Russia. And it's probably not what the average person thinks. So what, what's the reality? 
Yeah, so the reality is there's a lot of threat actors out there. Russia is definitely one of the big players. A lot of when people talk about Russia, they're they're really talking about two different things. So the Russian government does run a fairly robust um, cybersecurity, cyber warfare um, contingent, but there's also a lot of what we attribute to Russia is actually just private citizens within Russia who are taking advantage of the fact that the laws in Russia um, seem not to be concerned with people who launch attacks against non-Russians. So if you're just a normal citizen in Russia and want to try to defraud somebody in another country, there's very little repercussions. If you try to pull the same thing in Canada, there's a very good chance you end up in jail or extradited to the country that you actually launched the attack against. But in Russia, it seems like people get away with it as long as they don't attack Russians or, or Russians, Russia's allies. Do you think that that's, uh, is that just a, a government's uh, disinterest or is that a coordinated approach? Is that is that intentional on behalf of the Russian government? You know, it's hard to really speculate. I It, it seems like there's probably some um, aspect of the government sort of supporting it in a sense because... Uh, it certainly brings a lot of attention and it would be relatively easy for them to crack down on it a little bit, at least sort of make token gestures towards trying to curtail that. But I have seen no evidence that they actually have done so. So, Doctor, this is, as mentioned, these five universities coming together to establish the National Cybersecurity Consortium, which will lead the federal government's new cybersecurity innovation network. First of all, pretty sounds like a pretty cool opportunity for you, like personally, mm-hmm, yeah, to be involved exciting. in something. You're pretty stoked about this. Yeah, I am. Yeah, we're still very early. So so not much has happened yet other than it becoming official. But I'm, I'm really excited to see how things uh, progress from here. Yeah, I would imagine. I mean, from a career standpoint, how exciting to apply your knowledge and your talents to something with pretty significant importance. Right. Was this formed as a result of I, I don't know the answer to this, uh, the war in Ukraine or is this a bigger no. picture type thing? This is a bigger picture thing. It's been in the works. One of my uh, my good colleagues here at the University of Calgary, Ken Barker, has been working for a few years now together with colleagues from uh, Waterloo and um, Memorial University, I think. So there, there's a team that has been working on this for at least a few years. I think behind the scenes, they maybe have even been working even longer in terms of informal discussions with people in government and so on. So what are you seeing uh, with regards to specifically the war in Ukraine? And there's so much we're we're trying to bring on experts from all different perspectives. We're talking about, you know, misinformation and disinformation. And then, of course, there's the actual sort of war that we take that that the average person thinks of the shelling and the artillery and the no fly zone talk and all that jazz. But with regards to cybersecurity and your area of expertise, what are you observing and what are you keeping an eye on in particular? Yeah, so you mentioned the disinformation. That's actually been one of the most striking outcomes of this war so far. It seems that uh, a lot of the disinformation campaigns and stuff that goes on sort of online, people commenting things on Twitter and Facebook that just seem innocuous, but that have often been claimed that these are coming from Russian bots or Russian trolls. A lot of that has all but disappeared since the invasion, sort of lending some real support excuse me, to the hypothesis that those are coming out of Russia. But that's been probably the most striking implication so far um, on this side of the ocean for the war having happened. In terms of my professional um, interest, the, the thing that I found most amazing, I guess, is the fact that the Russian military doesn't even seem to be using sort of very basic things like encryption on their communications. And they, they seem to be actually much less sophisticated than 
I ever would have expected. A lot of people are talking about the sophistication level in terms of like actually combat, but I'm I'm really quite shocked by the lack of sophistication in terms of technology and security that they have been practicing. So it's allowed um, internet sleuths and so on to listen in in real time on what should be easily encrypted point-to-point uh, -point communication between troops. And so it, it's led to a lot of really interesting commentary on the internet, but it's quite surprising that this is happening. In fact, parts of it, you know, at times I've wondered, is this intentional? Are they misleading? Right. But there doesn't seem to be much in the way of encrypted traffic going through the air. So it's hard to imagine that they're just not talking except with their their bogus unencrypted communications. Right. How fascinating, hey, the, you know, 80 years between World War II and whatever this is. We had a guest on last week saying, you know, uh, a, a very well-known, respected Dr. Andy Knight out of Yale says this could very well be World War III. And I'm just sitting here, just knocking me back in my chair when he said that. Uh, but specifically in the context, you're talking about encrypted messages and communication between troops and things like that. And you think of these code breakers, right, uh, in World War II and how, how, how the, the digital equivalent of that now will be recognized, the importance of it. The average person uh, that, that's not a government official, that's not a, a person of influence or that wouldn't have a significant amount of wealth they would be overseeing or whatever. The average person that's on Facebook or that has their email account, they have their regular job that they go to every day. Is the average person at risk of, of a cyber attack? And, and if so, what should the average person do to protect themselves? You know, I don't think at this exact moment there's a huge risk. I, that I, I'm not an expert in foreign policy, so I'm, I'm somewhat speculating here. Um, but I, I suspect that there's not a massive risk at the moment of attacks that are going to affect everyday Canadians, for example, because I think that they would probably be interpreted as an act of war and Russia is actively avoiding doing things that would be interpreted as attacking, say, a NATO country. Um, so it actually seems right now you're probably at a slightly lower risk than usual of attacks by Russians because they seem to be preoccupied with other things and or going out of their way not to aggravate the people that they don't want jumping whole hog into the conflict. Um, if we get to the point where there really is World War III, where uh, NATO is engaging directly with Russia, then that would change quite dramatically. There's a huge amount of critical infrastructure, as well as just the sort of stuff that we do on a day-to-day -day basis that is almost certainly susceptible to attacks by russia if they decide to do so can, can we get into that what are you talking you're talking about electrical grids and oil sands facilities and what are you talking about airports yeah so basically all of those things as well as sort of the the less obvious things um you know all, all the sorts of computer systems that underlie all of our government apparatus uh police all, all of these sort of things or anything that's on the internet that is relying on the ability to communicate, the ability to sense things and send messages around. They're all connected to the internet. There's potential that they could be susceptible to attacks. And usually um, government sort of, when the military gets involved, they typically have a stockpile of known vulnerabilities that they have either discovered themselves or purchased on the black market with essentially like an exclusivity clause where whoever you buy it from, you pay a lot of money to make sure that they won't reveal it to anybody else. And then you, you hold on to it until such a point in time when you strategically want to be able to launch an attack. And um, they call these zero days attacks because the vendor of the, the software or hardware and or the people that are running it 
don't actually know this vulnerability exists, and yet uh, it's quite possible, in fact, like, likely that Russia has quite a few of these stockpiled ready to go mm. in the event that they decide they want to use them, just like uh, the United States and Canada and other countries as well. This is not specific to Russia. Right. Uh, we're talking to Dr. Ryan Henry. If you're just joining us on YouTube or maybe live streaming this on the Mixler audio app, he's uh, with the National Cybersecurity Consortium. He's a computer scientist out of the University of Calgary. Uh, the global hacking group Anonymous has launched a so-called cyber war against Russia, uh, which is an interesting development. Uh, you know, the civilian in me that would make a, the general observation, we don't know who Anonymous is, so I guess Anonymous could be comprised in part by American government officials. We don't know who Anonymous is, do we? Or maybe you do, doctor. Maybe you can tell us who it is. But <laughs> what's the significance of this? It's almost if you look at NATO as one, Russia as two, This is, and, I, and I'll acknowledge there are other uh, players here, but it's almost kind of a third-party entry into this conflict. It's kind of an interesting one. It, yeah, it is. It, this kind of comes back to what I, I said earlier about Russia, actually. A lot of what we often attribute to Russia may very well just be Russian citizens taking advantage of lax laws around attacking foreign entities. Anonymous is, is sort of a similar thing. This is, could be anybody. I mean, it could be me. I, I know a lot of people who um, may very well be parts of Anonymous, who I've wondered at times, like, hey, are you engaged in this? Uh, so, yeah, like, like you say, it could be almost anyone. And it could very well include government officials, either in an official or unofficial capacity. I can mm -hmm. definitely envision military and um, intelligence people doing this on the side in their own time without telling their superiors. And I could also envision um, those similar people actually doing it officially, but using the, the guise of anonymous to prevent this from being considered an attack by the government, because that would be potentially an act of war against their... In, Interpreted as an act of war. Yeah, interpreted as an act of war, which is yeah. oftentimes just like an official one, depending on what yeah, sort of response yeah. it elicits, right? Uh, Ryan, yeah. in closing, I mean, uh, and I love that you say that. You said nobody knows who Anonymous is. You say it could be me, and, and maybe it is you. And I could ask, well, is it you? And then you would say, well, I would never tell you if it was, right? <laughs> so, But but in all seriousness, with a person with your level of, of expertise and kind of understanding, you know, somebody might say somebody with insight into the matrix, um, you kind of get what's going on at a whole other level. How does that impact your perspective on everyday life? Like, do you walk around you and look around you and just go, oh, my gosh, all the like, uh, do, do you, or it could lead to a I know it's an unflattering word just, just to cut to the chase, though. I mean, I can see myself becoming a little bit more paranoid if I understood the magnitude of everything. How about you and how do you process it? Yeah, I, there, there have been times where that's certainly been the feeling that I've had this sort of paranoia because I realize how many aspects of our everyday life are susceptible. I think over the years, I've actually maybe grown numb to it. it part, part of it is the fact that, um, so I'll tell you like a, a quick story. A yeah. few years ago, actually, I came to Calgary when I didn't live here yet. I, it was actually for a conference in Banff. And at this conference, uh, one of the really interesting papers was talking about flaws in the, the system that tracks flights. And so they were showing how you can basically make planes disappear from radar, make phantom planes or pretend a plane is where it isn't. And this was shockingly easy to do. And over the years, I realized that, you know, the, the reason why planes don't go disappearing or get hijacked and so on really often isn't because of robust security it's because there's not a lot of people that want to do it and so right. this has sort of given me the uh this has given me sort of like the the ability to look past a lot of this where i, I just realize that 
if things were, are going to go wrong, they're going to go wrong. And this whole time, they haven't gone horribly wrong because people are generally good. During a time of war, that could totally, um, the, the tables could turn quite quickly. But I guess I've just grown numb to it. I, I've stopped worrying so much about that. I, I spend my days professionally trying to improve the situation. But once I clock out, I, I try not to worry about it. And I still use credit cards and I still use the internet for everything. And yeah. I do all kinds of things that I, I know the risks and understand the risks. And I'm probably in a better situation or position than most to exploit those risks if I wanted to. And yet I don't, I don't yeah. fret over them too much. Yeah. Well, we need people like you, like, quite frankly, I've often thought we were, whether we're talking about we were hard, we're hard on law enforcement out of the gates in the show today. And, and we also look at law enforcement that, and the incredible value that good law enforcement provides and how we need people. I think of specifically people. I'm about to take a hard swerve here, doctor, but stay with me. Sure. Uh, you know, people that work in things like child sex crimes or like child pornography or uh, online, like the sort of the so-called white collar crime where people's entire life savings are being wiped out or homicide investigators and the impossibly difficult job that they have. You know, we look at other people in other walks of life that are that are there and, and back here in this context with you, cybersecurity. You could apply your knowledge. You could bring people and organizations to their knees, and you know it. But instead, you're using your skills and your talents alongside representatives from these other four universities to make things more safe and more secure. And and uh, I just think it's 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 uh, it's important. And uh, quite frankly, it's fantastic uh, that that there are people out there that are working on that type of thing that the majority of us maybe don't think too much about. So thanks for making the time to explain it to us and help us understand the context of this new consortium. And, and thanks for the work that you're doing. Well, thanks for having me. You got it. That's Dr. Ryan Henry. That was a great conversation. A computer scientist at the University of Calgary. Uh, the four universities joining U of C, Concordia, Ryerson, University of New Brunswick, University of Waterloo. That's the National Cybersecurity Consortium. I love that talking about anonymous. He's like, who knows? Could be me. <laughs> like, wow, you're right. It could be you, Doc. It could be. My money's on that it's not, but who knows? Hey, if Anonymous ends this war, go Anonymous. Athabasca University is Canada's online university. Athabasca is like, thank you for taking a big, deep breath between that and us. <laughs> Speaking of online... Athabasca University is graduating some of the smartest and savviest people. Did you realize that across Canada, when it comes to the rankings of research universities, Athabasca's right up there. You may have think of them, well, I thought of my friends studying online at Athabasca and they love it because of the, the pace they can study. It's their own pace. Yeah, but there's a whole lot of things going on, a whole lot of reasons to take five minutes to learn more at AthabascaU.ca. You can also find them under the Sponsors tab on our website, ryanjesperson.com. also wanted to give a big shout-out to our friends at Eden Landscaping. We're coming up on the time of year where the ground is going to start to thaw. Trust me, it's coming. And people are going to start getting ready for those spring into summer jobs to really bring their outdoor space to life. Eden Landscaping has been doing it. Why not save yourself the sweat and the calluses and the blisters and the sore back and everything else that comes with all that heavy lifting? Check out their portfolio, the services they can provide online at landscapeedmonton.ca and get in touch with them today. It's never too soon to get started on bringing your outdoor space to life with Eden Landscaping. Well, we let off the show today talking to Megan Walsh, a resident in Calgary's Beltline District, about the so-called freedom protest, the freedom demonstration that's happened every Saturday down in Calgary. Edmonton's seen its fair share and other Canadian cities have as well, including rural communities. Uh, 
British Columbia is among the provinces that continues to see these demonstrations. And over the weekend, B.C.'s Premier John Horgan was asked about them. He was asked about his message to these so-called freedom demonstrators. Everybody's talking about what Premier Horgan had to say. And I would just say to these people, goodness me, get a hobby. Find something else to do with your time. Uh, we are removing restrictions at a pace that is consistent with the work we've done for the past two years. Uh, and 94% of adults in British Columbia are vaccinated. So we are spending an awful lot of time with a small group of people who seem to have nothing better to do with their time but to drive around in circles honking their horns. I wish they'd take some time to watch television and see the evening news about real tragedies and real disruptions in freedom that are going on in Europe right now. Give your head a shake. Find a better way to take your energies and put it to positive outcomes. That's my recommendation. And, and I'm hopeful that some of the people who were planning to come here will take my heart, that to heart and do the right thing. Find positive uh, pursuits for your excess energy. That was the one thing, Johnny, that jumped out at me where Horgan says 94% of adults in BC are vaccinated. We're spending an awful lot of time talking about a pretty small number of people. And people say, well, they're not small. It, it, it's a small group. Science, it shows it. It's yeah. it's a small group. Yeah, 94% of adults in BC. That's that's pretty encouraging. I wouldn't have guessed, like, off the top of my head, if I hadn't have, you know, Googled it and checked out the data, 94%, this pretty, you know you're never going to get to 100. Everybody wants to get to 100, but there's no way you're getting to 100. 94 is pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. So, yeah, the idea that they are a small group, but they are very, very vocal. And the whole thing around this is that folks are planning to drive from Ottawa to Victoria. There's a convoy of vehicles that are planned. And that's where Horgan is like, OK, just don't even bother. Don't come this way. Like, go. <laughs> they're going to Victoria, home. so they're all going to have to pay for the ferry. You know, they right, they understand that, right? Well, the other you thing know is what we do. What do we do? We give the ferry captain 10 grand to just hang a hard left and take him down to Washington State. <laughs> That's what we do. That's definitely it. Just idea. unload them. Nothing to see here, folks. All wow. their all their all their all their F-150s horns honking driving off, and then they finally realize. Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> Why is everything in miles an hour? I don't, I'm not really sure what they're uh, up in arms about. I mean, to the point that what we heard from Megan, the idea that this is not about freedoms. I mean, BC has lifted its mask mandate on Friday and plans to stop its COVID vaccine passport in April. So, like, if we're talking about freedoms and COVID and vaccines, like, it's not an issue anymore. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the pandemic is still happening, yes. But the vaccine passports and the mask mandates, no more. Everybody's talking about this, whether you're an NFL fan or not. <laughs> Brady's back. We we barely talk sports on this show. We barely talk football. We I respect talk football. a lot more sports. You think we should talk a lot more sports, Johnny? Well, you can have some influence here. Were I you surprised to, to see? Uh, I think he's widely acknowledged as the greatest of all time. Uh, he stayed retired for what six weeks, and he's back. I knew he was coming back. The first week he retired, I'm like, this this is not going to last. Tom Brady's a guy who likes to win. He's not done yet. Uh, I think he's got one, at least one more ring before it's over. Yeah. So his retirement lasted 40 days. There's kind of a biblical thing to this, right? <laughs> Jesus out in the desert for 40 days. It's true. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then he, oh yeah, Jesus was in the desert for 40 days. And when he came back, he had his whole fresh perspective and, under, <laughs> and understood his calling. He did that, ayahuasca. That, that was his, uh, he came did, back. He did ayahuasca. <laughs> he came back after his peyote journey. And, no, and uh, no, but so he stays retired for 40 days. And I guess making his announcement, he says, these past two months, I've realized my place is still on the field not in the stands that time will come but it's not now 
I love my teammates. I love my supportive family. They make it all possible. I'm coming back for my 23rd season in Tampa. Unfinished business. LFG. I love that LFG. But why? Why retire then? I don't understand. Like, was it all just to like create hype? Maybe. Um, you got to create a, some buzz. It could have been a contract thing. Maybe. I just, to me, I'm kind of like... Uh, midlife crisis much? No, in- no, no. Midlife crisis? Yes, like his, his identity is so wrapped sure. in being a football star that he had 40, just 40 days, just 40 days and he was like, oh man, who... Who am I? Who is Tom Brady no, you can't. without football? Well, he's a guy with like $300 million and the hottest wife on planet Earth and seven Super Bowl <laughs> rings. No, he, no, it's not he's that he can't empty. handle it. I, well, no, I think that you probably look at it. Let me tell you, Sarah. Uh, no, I don't know. But but I would imagine that he's probably sitting there going, I've still got the body to do it. For sure. I've still got the will to do it. For sure. I've still got the drive to do it. And he sees that Aaron Rodgers is getting all that money. He's like, nah. Aaron Rodgers, back. $50 million a year for four years. Years. 200 Green Bay million Packers, total that's 200 million bucks don't overpaid. even get me started on Aaron Rodgers you overpaid yeah. Green Bay yeah that was unbelievable that deal too okay so Tom Brady's back so maybe that does something to to people's picks on who might look like the favorite when it comes to this coming Super Bowl we'll tell you somebody that's decided to stay in retirement at least political retirement and this was pretty interesting Sarah you and I were talking on Friday I think it was Friday, when that polling came out, Thursday or Friday last week, you and I were talking about it. It showed that Pierre Poliev, um, among conservatives polled that intend to cast a ballot in the upcoming leadership race, 41% say they're going to vote for uh, Pierre Poliev. The next closest was at 10%, which uh, was Josh Ray, who had just launched his campaign. And then McKay's in there at 9%, Peter McKay. Yeah, he that then that was astonishing. He's like he's he's not even around. He's never said he's going to, and now he's officially said, "Nope." Yeah, this I'm is not uh, doing it. Peter McKay over the weekend. Uh, if if you're listening to this on the podcast, fine. If you're watching on YouTube, well, couldn't they just get him like a desk lamp or something? I mean, couldn't they have done <laughs> like what did they shoot this on a flip phone? Anyway, it's not good. Anyway, here's Peter McKay. Hello, I would like to share with you some personal news that I have just come to today. And that is after much consultation with friends and colleagues and family, of course, I've come to the decision that I will not be seeking the leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada. Okay, so Peter McKay says he's not going to do it. Some people wondered if he might come back because they, you know, he saw that opening. Like this is maybe that. Okay, maybe it wasn't your time. Uh, you know, when when uh, when uh, Aaron O'Toole won, and that was a bit of a surprise. Keep in mind, McKay was the favorite. Maybe that wasn't your time. Maybe now it's your time. Other people speculated. I mean, Peter McKay still owes. Um, I want to issue a caveat here. I don't know the exact number, but it's been estimated. Stephen Harper went to bat for him, which was kind of unusual. Stephen Harper reached out to conservatives and said, let's try to help Peter McKay out here because he still owes about a half million bucks from his last leadership race. Some people thought this might be a chance to reconcile that. that but that's exactly right. He actually, in this video, notes that he's still paying off debt from that previous contest. Major when he, debt. When he came uh, second to uh, O'Toole. So t- I'm just like that. I mean, I, my heart kind of breaks a little bit. For yeah, I mean, it's a lot day. of money too, and that's a personal debt, right? It's it, I I saw it estimated at one point it was over a million dollars. That's what somebody in the know, somebody that worked on the campaign, wow. told me that. And um, and then it was estimated that he still owed about a half a million dollars. So the thing is, if he thought, if if you thought, I mean, if I'm Peter McCain, I think if I put together a leadership run here and have a great team around me and fundraise then that fundraising could help me out on the on the other side but at the same time that's not you've got to be yeah, it can't be your motivation i think he probably i don't know i'm not speaking for peter mckay this is my guess nobody's given me the, i don't know but i sort of feel like it, the pierre poliev train right now it seems like the conservative party and i'm talking about the members are pretty intent on having this guy as their next leader 
Oh, interesting. I thought you were going to say that, you know, uh, Peter McKay is like, I don't want to split the vote further. I feel like he would probably pull people no away from Jean Charest. So he's like, no, oh, I don't sure. want, so I don't, I don't want to, uh, you know, dilute, dilute okay. the option. So your thought, and, and I would, Maybe. I would almost agree with that. Yeah. Where, where you're, so you're kind of saying that McKay sees Charest as a legitimate contender and, you know, the 10 plus 9% pulled together could equal 19. And then you build on that, that kind of idea. Yeah. I That's mean, probably part of it. Tasha Carradine, you know, said she didn't want when she was on the show that she doesn't want this party to go the way of Trump, Trumpism. Yeah. So uh, looking at Poliev, that kind of seems to be the vein and the route that he's going. And Jean Charest is, is not that direction, as is, I think, Peter McKay. But I'm not inside that guy's head. Yeah. Comment here in our live chat. McKay's my dude. He's smart. Stay out of this conservative mess. Yeah, maybe he just doesn't want, I, I don't know, maybe he just doesn't want to be part of this. You know, I'm not big on politics, but that's exactly what I <laughs> You're thought. You're going to say this before every one of your comments. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, no, still not big on politics. Yeah. But that's exactly what I thought when I, you know, you sent me the tweet and I, I looked at the video. I'm like, this guy just wants to be away from the fire. So you commented actually, which I thought was intuitive on almost his, his delivery or his body language in that video. He's, he's very, very nervous. It just seems like he wanted to say the right thing. Very short. Like usually when you drop out of a race, you know, it's at least a 30 to minute long video. That was 14 seconds. He dropped out of the race. The funny thing is he was never in the race. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I had to drop out of the Alberta party leadership race in 2017 after being signed up in the globe and mail by a columnist that I had nothing to do with. And I had to make an announcement on my show that I was not seeking the leadership of the Alberta party. I never threw my hat in the ring. I mean, this is obviously much higher profile and higher stakes, but the same sort of a situation. He's like, I didn't sign up in the first place. So uh, Haas says Sheree will not get the support of the far right nut bars in the party. A hundred percent true. Absolutely undeniable. There's no question about that. Lorraine says this party is coming across as, as Trumpian. Kimberly's wondering, why has Michelle Rempel-Garner been so silent? Relatively speaking, she has been. It's kind of an interesting one, too. I've seen Michelle Rempel suggested to be one of the more progressive, conservative politicians out there. And I've, I've just been, I haven't been commenting on it. I've just been monitoring those conversations online. Thing. That's a pretty interesting take. I think some people would have a hard time seeing Michelle Rempel as a progressive. But if you look at the way she's voted on several things... There's a bit of a track record where I think she can make the argument. The question is, can you sell it to people? That's the question. Do people buy it? Mm, you know, if you're monitoring things, are you anonymous? I could be. <laughs> I'm definitely <laughs> anybody that knows me will say he's not even close to smart no, no, enough like, <laughs> to be part of anonymous. No. We're going to be talking. I'm looking forward to this conversation in just a second. Dr. Brad Martin contributed to our uh, positive reflections feature a few weeks ago, and you demanded, Real Talkers, that we bring him on the show. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that conversation in just a second. Let me remind you, as we talk about communities across the province of Alberta, nobody knows it more, what it's like to be a corporate citizen and also to be those on those personal levels, those community members, then the team at Friesen Brothers. They started off with one store, their very first store. Guess where it was? It was in Hinton, Alberta. And since then, they've added 15 more. Friesen Brothers is Alberta-grown, Alberta-owned, and for more than 65 years have been putting family first. You can check them out online at Friesen.com. The Hot Hen is Mike's meal of the month, that crispy Alberta chicken sandwich. And of course, don't forget, mark your calendar the first of every month. It's 15% off grocery purchases of $75 or more 
at Friesen Brothers. Also, big shout out to our friends at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. You may have seen them this weekend. I know a lot of people right now are starting to prep for spring and summer, thinking about what you're going to use to get your family out camping or to pull your trailer or to pull your boat. You want to make sure that you've got something lined up. Demand is high right now, and while supply is better than it's been in the last two years, Still, some pretty competitive scenarios. The team at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge want to make sure you get the exact ride you're looking for. You can shop them online and follow the links on our website under the Sponsors tab. Or, of course, go see them in person at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. Well, it was a a few weeks ago that we heard from Dr. Brad Martin. He sent us an email to the show, talk at ryanjesperson.com, and he basically said, this show, this darn show... He said, it's the only podcast I listen to. He said, it's a show that's born of personal passion. He said, the show grounds me. He says, I'm a rural Alberta physician and my empathy has been waning in the last while. Then he went on to explain to us the role that the show has played. We said, we got to get this guy here. Dr. Martin, a rural family physician in Hinton, Alberta, married with three daughters and now an official Real Talk guest. It's so good to have you here. Thanks for making time for us, Doc. Thank you. I appreciate being here. You know what we loved? It was that your email was real talk. You wrote into us and, <laughs> and you basically said, like, my sort of give a damn meter's been falling. It's been emptying out and everybody could relate. I can't even imagine what it's been like for a healthcare provider like you over the past couple of years. How would you describe it? Yeah, it's been pretty draining. Actually, I'm just take my glasses off. I got glare there. Um, yeah, it's been very, very draining. Um, you know what? It's it's better now, though. We We are kind of seeing you know, a lot of restrictions lifted. And for the most part, I agree with some of those. Um, I don't really know why people are complaining so much about masking, but uh, we could have probably kept that a bit. But, um, you know, I haven't actually been too into the numbers here in the last little bit, uh, but it seems like our, you know, the stress on the system's been down. And I think that's the thing that people just don't understand. Like, even though I'm in Hinton, I can't send cardiac patients to the ICU when the ICUs are full. So it really affects kind of everyone when you see those big numbers in the city. And I think people are just a little bit too removed from that. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, everybody sees sort of what's in front of their own face, right? And mm-hmm. uh, and I think even with regards to the numbers, you said you, you've not been paying too close attention to them. We used to put graphics up on the board mm-hmm. every single day. And, and I mean, we were the numbers were off the charts. I mean, you know, yeah. we were looking at, at overload numbers and it was important that people knew those. But I found that myself intentionally... I'm not saying I bury my head in the sand, but I had to stop obsessing over them. Was that the same sort of a thing for you or what got you to that point? Yeah, that's, that's just it. It was just, it got to be just too much. And it was, uh, uh, you know, we already knew it was a bad situation, especially for this, uh, the Omicron wave as well as the Delta wave. And, uh, um, you know, definitely didn't agree with some of the, the restrictions being lifted as soon as they were. I, I definitely agree with the overall you know, getting back to normal, but it's just a matter of, uh, of just you know, a little bit more time before we start to open up, but it seems to be going okay right now. Although we're not really tracking any cases because there aren't any tests. <laughs> I know. And that's the <laughs> so thing is like, we're not tracking any cases. There's none of this testing and people are like, Oh, the numbers aren't that bad. It's like, well, yeah, because we don't know what the numbers are, but at the same time, I know that I'm encouraged to hear you say that that you're okay and somewhat supportive of lifting of some of the restrictions. I mean, if a physician is is saying that, I know people will give that a little bit more credibility than the average person. What are you noticing or how are you getting to that point where you'll say that on the record on this show? What do you see around you? Mostly because the vaccination rates are what they are. Um, They are decently high, not quite as high as in BC. 
um, that's what protects a lot of us. Now, I, I'd say if they wanted to keep the restrictions a few more weeks, I would have been more in favor of that than just lifting them quite so soon. Um, but um, yeah, the biggest thing in Hinton anyway, and I can only speak to what I'm seeing in Hinton, is we are seeing more COVID, but we're seeing thankfully somewhat less severe COVID. Again, I can't really talk on behalf of all my colleagues in town. I know we've still had a few things, uh, some bad outcomes with COVID, but yeah, it's, it's hard to say. And I think even, even myself as a healthcare professional and my colleagues, um, you know, we try to be as objective and, you know, stay with, you know, stay on track, but COVID burnout's a pretty real thing. And just being kind of done with it is, is somewhat real too. But I still think we need to be safe to keep our hospitals safe. You know, people are still screened at the hospitals. The hospitals need to be stay safe and, um, and our uh, long-term care homes and things like we're still, we still need to keep those measures up. Yeah. With on the burnout front, mm-hmm. what adjustments have you made? I mean, it's a personal question, obviously, but how, <laughs> how, how, how have you managed it? You mentioned in your intro, you've got a family, you've got community obligations. You're a human that, that can feel exhaustion, that can feel anguish. I mean, how have you managed <laughs> uh, not greatly, to be honest. Uh, uh, you know, relief valves like being on this show is it's great. I mean, this is this has been. You know, I was I was honestly when I got the email from Sarah, I was fangirling since. Then. <laughs> so I try to keep it together right now. But um, <laughs> no, it's uh, it's uh, it's been a, it's been a process. And honestly, I could say I haven't handled it very well. It's been burnout. It's been uh, you know just just rough rough nights, not sleeping. Um, uh, my family has been my best support. Obviously that's been great. My wife, Megan's been amazing and my kids are great. So that's always nice work, you know, as a break from home, home as a break from work kind of thing. So that balance, you know, I've been lucky and that's why I am a rural physician. Um, surprisingly enough to get that balance. Um, I mean, I'm on call 24 seven for a lot of things, but, um, but, uh, yeah, it's just been, you know what? I don't even know because I can't say I've actually kept it together quite so well. In the last few weeks, though, I feel like I've had a turning point. And that was my email to use because I kind of gave up uh, giving a shit about negative uh, opinions and, you know, just let it go because people come from somewhere. And if they don't want to wear a mask, they don't want to be vaccinated. That comes from somewhere. Misinformation is huge. I can't necessarily blame the person when it comes to just how credible some of these things are online or how they how credible they seem. Anyways, um, I've just kind of given up being upset with people. <laughs> so that was my, and that was my big thing about the email because I was convinced I was going to find the, uh, the perfect trash talk for you. <laughs> and it didn't turn out that way. Let me read this line. You, you said, uh, uh, where is it here? You said, uh, yeah, I, I thought that I was going to write in, oh man, I can't find it now here in your email. It's amazing. But you basically said I was going to uh, take my sincerest thanks. I really thought I was just going to be a source of sarcastic, sardonic, and angry trash talk. <laughs> but I'm proud to say my first letter correspondence to you is a positive reflection, which it was. And it just totally inspired the whole audience, which is the point of positive reflections presented by Kubi Energy. And so we love that. But but I'll be honest, like Hinton, first of all, love Hinton. To me, it's, it's obviously the gateway to Jasper National Park. It's like just an absolutely beautiful community. You wake up, you can look outside and see the mountains every day, um, mm-hmm. which which maybe the average person in Hinton takes for granted. I grew up in Calgary. I could see the mountains every single day when I woke up, moved to Edmonton. Uh, I had to remind Not myself so what they looked like. <laughs> so, uh, But the point is that that maybe does something to your mental health. But Hinton was also where I was sitting. Um, I was having a, a bite to eat on my way back from Jasper. Uh, I was at Folding Mountain Brewery. I was having a bite to eat, and the bartender says to me, you're going to get out of here. You're going to get ahead of the convoy. And I said, what are you talking? He goes, yeah, the convoy is coming through here. It's coming through. It's supposed to be here in just a little bit. He goes, I don't think you want to get trapped behind that. And sure enough, it was that 
road trip. I don't remember the exact date, uh, a couple of months ago, maybe six weeks ago, I guess it was something like that. Um, and that was when, as I was driving back on highway 16 East back to Edmonton, starting every overpass ditches, every people were having campfires and ditches, lawn chairs were out, big Canadian flags, signs for the convoy, the protest. And it was interesting because on one hand, I'm, I'm, noticing what's going on around me I'm going, there's a lot of people out it was not a friend it was like i would i counted up i was trying to keep a rough tally in my head about 500 people five six hundred people on the sides of the road and things like that on the drive through but it was also and we didn't even know yet what that was going to turn into i didn't know that they, they were going to you know desecrate the national war memorial and and all these types of things we didn't know there'd be weapons found at coots we didn't know all that kind of stuff but i still felt this kind of burning i don't know if i'd call it anger but certainly something within me that, that has seen professionals um, and, and the most essential services maligned over these past numbers of months and, and, and the past couple of years, quite frankly. And that includes doctors like you, includes nurses, includes academics, researchers. And, and, uh, and I'm just really getting to a point where I guess maybe I had to get to where you got a few weeks ago where I could let some of that tension out because it was, I knew it was building up inside me and it manifests itself in ugly ways, right? All of a sudden you make a snarky comment to somebody you care about, or all of a sudden you, you start to, you know, unhealthy habits or whatever the case is for each individual person. You have to find a way to get to that point where you can release some of it, but it's way easier said than done. I've realized mm -hmm. myself. Yeah, absolutely. And that's exactly where, where I was at, but that tension, that, that anger, from the convoy, you know, that's something we've been dealing with, with uh, people that were doing, you know, for a while in the summer, we had every Saturday, there was an anti-mask rally in Hinton. And, uh, and we just, that was just ridiculous, in my opinion. I mean, I get, I get not wanting to have certain restrictions, like, you know, even get people being against things like having to show they're vaccinated to get to restaurants. I don't think that's a big deal. My biggest thing is just putting a piece of cloth on your face. It wasn't hard. It wasn't difficult. Still isn't. I often go out in public without a, with a mask on. Still, I, I mean, I find people not because uh, you know with, with vaccines we are a little bit more protected. But yeah, it was just there was always a group of eight to twelve people. It wasn't a big group, but they'd be out every Saturday just protesting, having to wear masks like their freedoms were completely gone. And it's it's really not. I mean, you have to wear you know underwear and pants to get into a store just one more piece of clothing really like there's really nothing to it i just couldn't understand it takes more effort to be upset about a mask than it does to actually wear it yeah and yeah <laughs> no kidding i mean i guess technically you have to wear underwear or pants to get into a store but still we'll i take, suppose we'll, we'll I take suppose. your point yeah. uh <laughs> <laughs> hey doc bigger picture how yeah. like you've been practicing for how long and how long in hinton uh, so I've been, since I graduated residency, I've actually been in Hinton the entire time. I'm going, coming up on six years now. Nice. Okay. So you've, yeah. you've got, you've got the lay of the land. Six years mm -hmm. is enough time to get the lay of the land. Uh, how would you assess things like, you know, um, availability? If, if, if my family moves out to Hinton, can I find a family doctor? Uh, are you able to, do you notice anecdotally around you that you're able to attract and retain talent? Uh, a lot of people are talking about the rural doc shortage. Is that a reality where you are? <laughs> Yes and no. So we are probably based on towns of the uh, similar size. So Edson being similar size, they have about the same amount of positions as we do. Um, I would say we're probably a little bit better on that front having docs, but right now we only have, as far as I'm aware, so don't quote me on this, but we have one accepting position that's accepting new patients. You just started up here. Um, and we still have quite a few hundred people that need it. So we are short, but I don't think we're as short as a lot of other places. Um, Hinton, um, other communities might hate me for saying this, but Hinton's a little bit of a gem in the rough when it comes to 
uh, town's the size being as well staff it is. We have two full-time general surgeons. We do kidney dialysis. We have a lot of visiting specialists that come by. So Hinton is actually a really good community medically. It's got a lot um, that can be offered. Um, but we still have several hundred people that are on a wait list or don't have a family doctor. Got it. Um, before we thank you for your time, I know you got obviously a lot to do here. Uh, is there anything that we haven't asked you about that you think, you know, this audience, this is an empathetic, engaged audience mm. an educated audience at that. Um, anything that we haven't discussed that you think might be of interest to your fellow real talkers? Um, I think, I think the big thing would be just talking about, uh, you know, the role of a physician being an advocate for patients. One of the ways we advocate is on Twitter and my Twitter handle that I have that you guys uh, link to on on your tweet is actually, I made that up for this show. Uh, just nice. to have something. My actual Twitter account is a little bit bigger following and it's anonymous. Um, we talk, uh, you know, we, we, we combat the government in any way we can. And in my opinion, and, uh, or in my way, it's, uh, uh it's fairly foul language <laughs> involved. Like, uh, I swear a lot online and Twitter. Like I, I don't like Chandra, that whole thing before he, he stepped down, like, yeah, he blocked me a long time ago. But yeah, we 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 just have to advocate in the different ways we do. And mine was mine was that. Um, you know, I won't get into it because I can get in trouble just even saying that I've done that. So that's my sure. promise. I've got a I've got a professional commitment to be a certain way that I think kind of sometimes gets in the way of trying to advocate for patients, but we can try to do that as best we can. So my new Twitter account made for this show, I will continue to do that a little bit more non-anonymously. So what you're telling uh, us is your new account is going to be the most boring follow out there because you're pouring all your energy into the other one, which is, Hey, don't change. Don't change. That's good. Um, this relationship between the, the province, like the government, Jason Mm. Kenny's government, uh, health minister now Jason Copping, of course, was Tyler Shandro before that, uh, and and healthcare professionals is is strained. I think it's fair to say the government would say Absolutely. otherwise. Jason Kenny would talk about how much they're spending on healthcare and all these types of things. We saw it, some of the numbers last week. The government's asking people in certain professions to take pay cuts, uh, and there were healthcare workers oh, in there. I want to give you a chance to, to chime. Well, I want you to get started on it. Yeah. Um, but then out of nowhere, also, and this really flew under the radar. I was somebody came up to me this weekend and said. The nurses deal. The nurses got a deal. The deal got done out of nowhere. Every people, I mean, people, including me, were expecting that one to get nasty. So that mm-hmm. kind of gave me another bit of food for thought, right? With regards to where this relationship is at, where it could go. How about you? Yeah. So I, I don't actually know the details of the nursing agreement. It was looking actually terrible to begin with. Yeah. A good cut. And then I, then the, the, what I was aware of is this kind of neutral. I don't know how good it is for them. I, I suspect I'd want it to be better. Well, good enough to sign um, it though. I think so because, uh, I mean, I'm not a nurse myself, but uh, relating to them and working them closely, and I love them dearly. So shout out to all the Hinton nurses here. Um, uh, I know that what they were going through, as long as they weren't losing a whole lot, they were probably okay with it because it could be a lot worse. And I think that's even with the docs and our, our well, we don't even we don't even technically have an agreement. Uh, the health minister can say tomorrow that I get paid, you know, ten cents on the dollar, and that's 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 literally what would happen. Um, but nonetheless, um, I don't think it's fair for, because um, I work closely with uh, uh, SLP, uh, speech language pathologist, other members in the hospital that are getting like a 10% pay cut. That's huge. I mean, you know, Hinton being close to the mountains, close to Jasper, the living expenses here are pretty high. And for, for, for people that uh, I suspect wouldn't get paid nearly as much as a physician or even a, a registered nurse would, those are huge pay cuts. So I think what happened is the nurse just got a lot of support and a lot of body behind them and a lot of public support. 
So I think we need to take that public support to the other allied health professionals. Cause I think that's maybe where he's trying to take the, take the money away. Yeah. And I, and I personally think a public servant, uh, which we all are because we all get paid, uh, shouldn't, shouldn't have to, uh, take such a pay cut approved positions for sure. We've told, we told Chandra back when he was health minister, we were willing to take a good cut. We actually agreed to his initial, uh, proposal that he said wasn't good enough. And then I know we're in limbo since then. Mm. That was a 5% cut, I think, that you guys agreed to, wasn't it? Off the top of my head? Well, most of us were actually agreeing to a lot more than that. We really? were fine with, with a little bit more. Well, I don't know why I was. Um, but okay. the reason we didn't sign the master agreement that he proposed was um, it put too much control, we felt, into his into his sphere. And we didn't we just didn't want that. Got it. Um, just, yeah. just a couple of quick points, like just points of interest. Uh, brace yourself. I'm going to throw a few numbers at you. But the nurses <laughs> deal um, that was ratified back in, uh, when was it? Just the end of January. It's about a four-year deal, includes a four and a quarter percent pay increase over the life of the agreement. So let's call it a percent uh, per year, uh, along with a one-time lump sum payment of one percent uh, in recognitions of uh, nurses' contributions during the pandemic. Uh, maybe a show of good faith, and then uh, some other details that people can check out online, including the implementation of a rural capacity investment fund, uh, which will allocate five million bucks a year to recruitment and retention strategies in rural and remote areas and two and a half million a year for relocation assistance. So uh, that could be good. Obviously, when you talk about rural areas, you're in one of the ones where everybody would love to be, right? I mean, you're the gateway to the mountains and all that kind of stuff. Might be a little bit, I'm not going to start naming communities that would be the opposite of that, but (laughs) some communities a bit more of a challenge to pull people out there. Let's acknowledge that's just a fact. So, um, hey, Doc, I just, you know, you know, I'm the son of a physician and I've just got so much respect. My dad would take me in the uh, late afternoons into the evenings when he'd go do his rounds at the Holy Cross or the Rocky View in Calgary. And uh, of course, I wouldn't go in the room with the patients but uh, so that would mean I'd get to spend some time at the nursing stations and hang out with the nurses a little bit too and um, it it really formed my earliest admiration for what it takes and the sacrifices and the time involved and it's a calling Uh, it's a career but it's a calling Um, so I always love a chance to check in with a healthcare professional that's willing uh, to subscribe to that idea of real talk and so we appreciate it thanks I'm so proud to have you subscribing to the show we really appreciate it thank you very much I appreciate it you guys are the best thank awesome you. doc thanks that's Dr. Brad Martin you can follow him on Twitter at his new account at Doc Martin 1987 uh, which will probably be boring ass uh, and, then, and then and then who knows what his other account is he says he's got quite a bit of a larger following with plenty of profanity though we don't want to out him but I have a, I have my suspicions on a couple he also said he's anonymous yes is he is he capital A anonymous? anonymous? Can you imagine if we just talked to the guy that's bringing down Russia <laughs> and saving healthcare in Hinton? I love it. Uh, you can let us know what you thought about that conversation talk at RyanJesperson.com. If I know anything about the way this show goes, some of you will say his comments inspired me to say this. And uh, we always want that follow up. These conversations continue on the show. Some of those other numbers talking about wage cuts. Uh, just here are a few of them. Uh, pharmacists are being asked. By the province are being told that the wage rollback is going to be 5%, 5.1. Occupational therapists taking a 5.4% pay cut. Respiratory therapists, these are the people that have been in the ICUs working with people on ventilators. Respiratory therapists have been on the front lines. Uh, hugely important work that they do, taking an 8% pay cut. Can you imagine taking an 8% pay cut? After uh, a buddy of mine, uh, his wife is respirational uh, respiratory therapist. She was on the show, actually. Um, she, I mean, you hear these stories from people like they get home and they're taking off their scrubs in the garage 
in the early stage of the pandemic and trying to clean themselves off before they come in. They, 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 don't, they try not to hug their kids, or if they do, they're worried they're getting too close. Remember the knowledge around the pandemic at the beginning? It was so stressful for people, especially people that were in the ICU. I mean, you're looking after 21 or, or 8 or tell, depending on where you are, people that are COVID positive, uh, that, that their scenario is so grim that they're in the ICU. Imagine taking an 8% pay cut at the end of the day. Uh, pharmacy techs, um, did I mention this one already? An 11% pay cut. And social workers, because who needs them? An 11% pay cut for social workers in the province. So, I mean, I don't know how you wrap your mind around that if you're one of these people that's been showing up to work every single day. But also inflation, folks. Like, we're yeah. looking at the highest rate of inflation. A lot of people are wanting to go to their employers and say, hey, I need a bump up yeah. because cost of living it's supposed to match. It's supposed to go in line, in lockstep yeah. with inflation when you get your, your raise each year. Or and your- remember what we learned. About, sorry to cut you off, but no. remember what we learned about inflation just talking last week, uh, that inflation over the past while has, has been on pace in Canada for a 5.1% increase, well outpacing the average of about 2.4. Exactly. So then you're saying, oh, but also we're going to cut you by 11% your yeah. wage down? like Yeah. That's a tough pill to swallow. Uh, we'd love to hear from you if this is something that's impacting you directly. You can send us an email if it needs to be in confidence. So be it. We receive those. Make sure you put it at the very beginning of the email that you don't want me reading your name. There's been a few, John. You may have seen over the year and a half we've been doing Real Talk. There's been a few where I read to the, the email to the very end on the show, and then the last line goes, please don't say my name. Some people want to remain anonymous. <laughs> you know who doesn't? is local environmental. They want you to remember their name and remember it well. Anytime that you're looking for portable toilets, maybe you're putting on a music festival or some sort of a community gathering, fencing, water hauling, garbage and recycling management, whether it's in your community, perhaps it's on your job site, Perhaps you're a small business owner. Maybe you've got a retail storefront or a restaurant. Why not keep it local with local environmental services? Uh, They've been in business across the prairies, Alberta, Saskatchewan, constantly growing their footprint. They've made some really exciting acquisitions over the past uh, number of months. And of course, they present trash talk here on the show every Friday. You can find them online at localenvironmental.ca. Our friends at Dairy Queen want to make sure that you know about their brand new burger menu. These are the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. You've got your bacon two cheese deluxe signature stack burger. This signature stack burger collection, unbelievable. I have to talk about it every morning. I'm going to start demanding burgers in studio. I should say requesting, not demanding. Demanding is a harsh word to use. Loaded Steakhouse is the Real Talk recommendation of choice. That's the one with those onion rings and bacon on top. Absolutely fantastic. These are the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and in Sherwood Park on Baseline Road. I had a hilarious dream over the weekend that we heard from our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. This is such a funny dream. They got in touch with me and they said, you've been reading the wrong locations the whole time. And I was like, What? What? I woke up in the morning. I'm like, going to shoot them a text. I was like, are you for real? What did we do? Our friends at Y Station, you know them, they are responsible for administering. This is a huge job, and we're so grateful that they do it. Our get real question of the week, each and every week. And this past week, we took a bit of a different focus. Instead of making it super subject specific, we took three items in the news, and we wanted to know how you felt about them. Uh, John, let's get into some of the... The highlights here, this is from our most recent question of the week. Look at this, 42% of you, 42% of the hundreds that chimed in, Real Talkers believe that the gas tax reduction, that 13 cents in Alberta starting April 1st, 
and the utility rebate will not help them at all. 42% believe that that will not help them. Kind of an interesting observation. How about this? Just over half of you, 52% of real talkers, do not believe that retailers will pass on the 13 cent gas tax to the consumer. You believe that costs are going to go up in other directions. There's some cynicism there. On a different front, check this out. Exactly a quarter of you, 25% of Real Talkers polled, believed uh, that the ICC will take no action. The International Criminal Court will take no action against those who invaded Ukraine. 53% of you are still holding out hope. And when it came to International Women's Day, check this out. This surprised me. Yeah. Less than a third of you, just 30% of Real Talkers, celebrated International Women's Day. Keep in mind that more than 50% of this audience is women. And we know that based on the demographic survey that comes uh, as a result of our question of the week. Typically, this audience, the percentage of women around 52 to 56%, which shows it's more refined. 30%? That's what it shows. Okay. Well, it's one of the things it shows. (laughs) Are you surprised? Just 30% saying they celebrated International Women's Day? Uh, I mean, celebrate. Maybe that's maybe that's what it is about. I that mean, could be it. We we talked about that. The idea that you, what are we celebrating? Should we be saying Happy International Women's Day? It's let's recognize it's it's International Women's Day. But there's a uh, a lot of shit we still have to fix before we can like toot the horns and uh, yeah have a little so balloon could, party. Yeah, that that could be it. It could be that more than thirty percent obviously recognize the importance of International mm. Women's Day, but they were far from celebrating. Yeah, maybe that's the case. John, why why was it such a surprise to you? Well, that's what I thought as well. I don't mean to piggyback on what Hoyle said, but maybe just this year it's not the best year to be cel- – there's not a lot to be celebrating, right, in terms – you know, women are still fighting for equality, equal pay, and uh, with everything going on in the other side of the world as well. I always try to use different words when, I, when I'm, like, promoting our content or pushing things out, and I'll say things like, we observed it or we recognized it. Mm. It's not necessarily celebrating it, yeah. right? We observe Remembrance Day. We recognize, you know, uh, National Day of Truth and Reconciliation. We're not celebrating it. That's um, a really good point, yeah. So that's kind of an interesting one. I've always The word celebrate is an interesting one. More and more people using funerals as a celebration of life. Mm. Celebrate oh, can you imagine? good times. Come on. Yeah, at a funeral? Is that at a funeral? Just sort of change the vibe a little bit? I want my funeral to be a party in, in 2077, hopefully. <laughs> we asked about an amazing woman in your life, and we wanted to share some of these because these were so great. One of you said, I have so many amazing colleagues at my job, the Edmonton Public Library. They're knowledge keepers. They're wise and good people. Uh, another one of you said, uh, the best mentors in my life have all been women, but the most fantastic, my high school band director, Roberta Barrel. She created a fantastic supportive environment for everybody coming through the door, showed me I had a place to belong, and cemented my love of creating and appreciating music. How about that? Another one of you said, let's not do this. The cheerleading around this day in light of how we've let women bear a vastly disproportionate share of the burdens of this pandemic feels like a slap in the face. Spare me the uplifting memes. All right. That's what I'm talking about. I mean, Johnny. Johnny was like, can we, just because you have a daughter or a wife, you, I mean, you said it so well. <laughs> I, I don't want to get, I don't want to get people angry, but I just said like, you know, it That's seems what we do here, like. John. <laughs> It seems like, and you and I know this, being in broadcasting, there's some big voices out there who I feel uh, kind of recycle the same post. I'll, I'm not going to say his name. There's a guy in broadcasting, very high up, big leader who people look to, uh, who follow, who people follow. Say his name. No, no. Say but he, he just name. reposted. Say his he name. Okay. He literally just reshared 
the post from last year, which was you know about <laughs> about, about his family a, members who inspire. Like, but I don't want to I don't want to knock them down because they're all inspiring women who he was talking about. But I mean, I feel like I feel like you just need to do a little more work. You know, you know what I love? A little more work. I loved it. Got personal. On International Women's Day, and John, did you see what happened here with my wife? So John, John tweets something oh, like, "Oh, shots were well, fired." There were shots fired. Like, shots were fired from Carrie Skelton, and I was like, "Oh boy," because he basically said, "Hey, International Women's Day shouldn't just be you talking about your wives, girlfriends, and daughters. Like, mm. make it more than that." Yeah. And then she responds to him and says, "But that's an important part of it. It is." And, and then, I, and then I realized at that point I hadn't said anything about Carrie yet. So I was like, that sounds to me more like a marching order to me. He got on his social media. <laughs> but like what she understood is I had to explain it after. And a few people, I got lots of likes and a lot of people who said, you know, explain more next time. Mm -hmm. And that's what I was trying to do is say, maybe your mother is the most inspiring woman in your life. Um, but I feel like you should switch it up, especially with everything going on in this day and age. Point us towards some local people who are spreading good vibes, information, and, and educating people on women. It just always bugs me when they're like, you know, when something terrible happens to a woman and it's like, as a, as a father and as yes. a, I have a wonderful wife and it's just like, yeah, but yeah, you should just, you should care about us. You should care about us women yeah, because we're human. hundred yeah. percent. Not because we, uh, you know, married you or, <laughs> or, you know, had kids for you. Yeah. No, that's also fair. Like, and, you know, and then also on the flip side, that guy might just say, I'm just providing context. Like, I'm just like, he is. You guys going, I'm, a, I'm an ally. And then someone will say, you don't get to call yourself an ally. And he'd be like, fine, I don't want to be an ally. I'm just so, uh, why don't I even sign up for Twitter in the first fucking place? Right. And there's those people too. I think right? it's a bull fan. You don't really, a lot of guys walk into Twitter and it's just the guys, like not men. A lot of people walk into Twitter, I think, and just realize like they've basically stepped right into a bar fight. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> They're like, it's bloody in there. Yeah, it's like the, uh, was it Abe Simpson that kind of walks in the room, <laughs> takes his hat, puts on the hat rack, and then puts it on and walks right back out. Everybody knows that one. Or Homer fading back into the bushes. Yeah, see you later. That's a good one. This feels like a good time. Let's take this thing in a positive direction. This is one of our favorite traditions, obviously, all week long. Here on Real Talk, we're so grateful to have Kubi Energy on board as such a supportive partner. You know, they want to make sure that we're focusing on the positives. And so that's why every Monday we present positive reflections. I love this one from Olivia who says, uh, Ryan, I, like everybody else, am spending hours every week watching developments in Ukraine and neighboring countries like Poland. Uh, one story in particular caught my eye and it seemed like a really good fit for positive reflections. Despite the violence and tragedy all around us, good people are still doing great things when they can. Uh, Olivia tells us the story of some hotels in Poland that have been doubling their rates because so many people are showing up, right? More than a million, it's estimated two million people fleeing Ukraine. Uh, says, but there are hotels like the Arch Hotel Lublin offering free shelter for refugees fleeing this Russian attack. They've got a network of hotel connections and their staff is working together. It's a Polish hotel chain pledging more than a million dollars, an initial commitment for free temporary housing for Ukrainian refugees. Olivia says this story, watching people collect donations, volunteering their time to aid Ukrainians is really a positive reflection. And a shout out to Dan. Dan reached out and said, I've been grateful for Real Talk's commitment to, to tackling mental health issues and tough conversations over the past year or so, especially in the context of the pandemic. And I wanted to share a study I came across. Dan says, I thought it would be encouraging to my fellow Real Talkers. Thanks for building this community. This is AXA's annual mind health study. Dan shared the link. 
Um, it's a post-pandemic world, uh, says CEO Claudio Genial with AXA, says the post-pandemic world looks set to be a kinder place for all of us to live. New research shows that although uh, the UK is experiencing more uh, mental ill uh, or mental health impacts than the rest of Europe, Brits have actually become more compassionate and empathetic. The study shows that the, the pandemic has actually helped to destigmatize mental health conditions, and it's encouraged people to have more open conversations about their own struggles and to better acknowledge when they need support. And 40% of the people that participated in this survey say that they now care more about the well-being of their local community. 39% feel their local community has become a kinder and more friendly place. How great is that? And Dan, we want to thank you for sharing. If you want to read more on that, just Google AXA, A-X-A, their annual Mind Health Study. Coming up on tomorrow's show, really looking forward to connecting to Canada's permanent ambassador to the United Nations, the Honorable Bob Ray, will be joining us. Plus, we'll follow up on our conversation last week about the fate of Jaskaret Singh Sidhu, who pleaded guilty uh, following that tragic Humboldt Broncos bus crash. He will be deported. Uh, says Canada's border officials, Kyla Lee, a criminal lawyer out of Vancouver, will take us into what the law says about that entire circumstance. In the meantime, be good to one another, friends, and make it a great Monday. We'll talk to you soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, editorial producer Sarah Hoyles, technical producer John Hicks, managing director Josh Dunford, account coordinator Tanya Franklin, general manager Katie Cook-Chivers, website design Mike Johnston, voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis Settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.